I, I mentioned that uh, Mia Reed, one of our uh, uh, kid in our church, was going to celebrate her first communion, but she couldn't be with us in the sanctuary because her class from school had been, what do you call it, quarantined for a, a COVID case. But I, I wanted to share with you a picture. Uh, it should go up there. There she is with her family. Uh, we had a wonderful time in Brownwood Park. For those at home who can't worship with us, we still have communion in the park after service at noon, so please join us there. Uh, a lot of Sundays, no one comes, and, and David or I just sit waiting, and that's okay, but we want you to remember and know that it's there if you would like to come. Uh, I, I texted, we took this picture on my phone, and I texted it to David and Sarah afterwards, and they just kind of, they had a sweet response, you know, kind of very thankful um, for how long, you know, Mia's been uh, in my life and I've been in her life, and it reminded me of her baptism. And so we have another picture here. Um, this is when we, for, in our first couple years, we met in Brownwood Park in the rec center and uh, where Mia was baptized. And, you know, as a pastor, it just sort of melts your heart to remember that this little one who is now you know, publicly professing her faith, coming to the communion table, uh, has been involved in our, in our church life uh, since her birth. And, you know, as we as a neighborhood church, as a, as a smaller church, uh, th- this is one of our values, that we would be a true community of faith, that we would know one another uh, and experience life through thick and thin, right? We've been through hard times over this last couple years. We've been through great times Together, But it, it is those times and that time together over years that forms deep, uh, deep, deep friendships, deep connections. And one step further, that, that little baby is my daughter, Zoe, who is now learning how to drive. So David and Sarah and Stacy and I have been in each other's lives uh, for a long time, for over 15 years. And, and that is meaningful. And that, I show these pictures because this is what we desire to be. Uh, as a pastor, I want to uh, baptize, marry, and bury the, uh, the people of our congregation. Not that I'm looking forward to anyone's death. <laughs> but imagine what it would be like to be in relationship with others, brothers and sisters in Christ, over a lifetime. That is... In our fast-paced, technological, rapidly changing world, that is often a value that we miss. And so I just wanted to take a moment to say uh, that there's value in what's happening in the life of our church. So, amen. amen. Okay, let's get to our sermon passage, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. Please follow along up here or in your own Bible if you've brought one. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. This is... Uh, the beginning of uh, Jesus calling his disciples to himself. He's, he's been in public ministry for about a year. That's, that's common uh, understanding of where Jesus is in his ministry. But it was not until after a year that he, he intentionally went out and called disciples to follow him. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their nets and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from even beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray as we come to your word and to hear your word preached, we we confess that the words of man or any man are, any person are uh, meaningless apart from the work of your spirit. And so we ask that this would be your work, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each of our hearts, whether here in person or watching online, that you would do your work. And so what we ask is that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear your voice, open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. For we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So in August and in September, we're in a series we're calling A Beautiful Faith. We believe that it is a good time in the life of the church and in the life of our own church that we would be reminded of the beauty and uh, compelling nature of our faith. I think a lot of us have suffered individually and corporately over the last couple years. We've, we've suffered from the quarantine. We've suffered from cultural uh, and national shifts and conflicts. I think Lee prayed earlier about the polarization in our country. And, and I've heard from many and I've, I've experienced myself that as we look at our, it's caused many of us to look at our faith again and to look at the church and to ask a lot of questions. And I, and I think that's valid. <laughs> I think there's lots of good reason for that. But it's because of that that I think it's important that we come back to ask, what is it that we believe? What is it that we believe the church is being called and invited to be and to do? And I, and I believe that it's a beautiful calling. It's reassuring and uh, comforting. We started the series by looking at this concept of a beautiful faith, what God has called us into. We've, we've talked about our beautiful Savior, Jesus, and last week we talked about Jesus' beautiful message that God is at work in the world reconciling all people to himself through the sacrifice of Christ. Starting this morning, we're, we're kind of shifting, if you can see the logic in the series, we're shifting now from what God is doing and what God is calling us to into, into our, more of our part. What does it look like for us to take part in what Jesus continues to do in this fallen world. And today we're looking at Jesus' beautiful invitation. And that's what we just saw in our passage, Jesus' invitation to these four individuals, calling them to follow him, and this promise that if they will follow him, he will make them fishermen of men or of people. And I believe Jesus is calling all of us. I think if you're a Christian, then you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, then you are being called 
to take part in Jesus' beautiful work. So, what is this beautiful invitation? Uh, Jesus calls these individuals to come and be his disciples. And I think it's crucial for us to understand what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, to understand the invitation. So, some of this may be new to you, some of this may be old, but it's good for all of us to, to hear this again. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple is like a student, right? A student has a teacher, and a disciple has a teacher, and you go to this teacher to learn things. But a disciple is looking for far more than information. A student, again, is interested in gaining knowledge and expertise from a teacher, whereas a disciple is interested in learning more about a manner of life. A manner of life. A student could go to a teacher and say, I don't care anything about how he or she lives their life. They have knowledge. They have information that will help me, and I want to gather that information, and I can separate it from the person of the teacher. But that's impossible for a disciple. Yes, a disciple desires and needs to learn information from their teacher, but they're concerned in that information only as far as it impacts their manner of life. And so in a sense, a disciple is more concerned with wisdom than knowledge, because wisdom is knowledge applied in this life. Again, a disciple seeks to observe, to follow a master or a disciple, so that their life would reflect the life of their teacher. And so a disciple is more uh, interested in following or imitating their teachers. And we see this uh, explicitly in the letters of the New Testament, right? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, Be imitators of me, Corinthians, as I am an imitator of Christ. And if you're familiar with the book of Corinthians, you know that the Corinthians were living crazy lives, that the, the, their lives, their day-to-day lives were not reflective of the very gospel that Paul had preached to them and that they had believed. And that's, that's his passion in that letter is, this is what I preached to you, this is what you have believed, and so this is what your life should look like. But Paul himself learned this as a disciple of Jesus. Listen and remember what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I would wager few of us think about Jesus in this way, right? He is God. He is the eternal Son of God. And yet Jesus in his humanity, he models this for us. Jesus, the man, said, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up myself. I'm not, you know, I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not some genius who's, who's plotting a new course. He says, I am a disciple of my Father in heaven, and I only do what I see my Father doing. My Father is at work, and I seek to model my life after him. And so this is the pattern of the New Testament that Jesus who called us to himself, has called us to be his disciples. We, for lots of reasons, we have emphasized the salvation piece. We are sinners. 
right? <laughs> and we don't often need a lot of convincing there. We have disobeyed God. We've gone our own way, and our lives reflect that in their brokenness and in the pain. But God, in His great mercy, has come and, and given Jesus Christ. This was last week's sermon. Given Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins so that when we put our faith in Him, our sins are forgiven and taken away, and we become children of God, reconciled again with God, and that, that relationship is restored Unfortunately, many of us kind of stop there as if that's the end of the message. But God says throughout the New Testament, as my people, I want you to live a certain way in the world. I want you to reflect my character. I want you to reflect my glory. I want you to reflect my holiness, but also my love and my compassion. And so as God's people, we are not simply to stop with our salvation, but but what do we do with the rest of our lives? We now follow Jesus, our Lord and Master. You see, you should be able to tell whose disciple someone is by their manner of life. Right? If we were back in Jesus' day and you would say, oh, you're clearly a disciple of such and such a rabbi. Well, how did you know? I didn't even open my mouth. Well, I know because I know that teacher and I I know his manner of life and I see it reflected in you. I think many of us, many in the American church would do well to say, does my life reflect the life and the character of Jesus? That's a good question for all of us to ask. So what does this look like today? I want to share as part of an answer to this my own personal testimony because I want to make it concrete and I want to share part of myself with you. And I want that same invitation that I experienced and many of you have experienced, I believe that it truly is a beautiful invitation into uh, an exciting life of eternal impact (laughs) that many of us often miss, we forget, or we've never actually entered into. And I want to add, as we talk about discipleship, that Jesus' call to follow him is, is caught up in his invitation that we read earlier in the service um, when he said to take his yoke upon you. That, that is the language of a master to a disciple. But what does Jesus say? He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and lowly. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I, I carry that with you as we talk about this, that following Jesus, seeking to be his disciple and imitate his manner of life is what we were created for. And while it isn't easy. It is hard. All of life is hard. This is what you were created for. Okay. Well, I grew up, here comes my testimony, I grew up uh, in a church-going family. Uh, As I recall, uh, we were in church more Sundays than we weren't. Um, Maybe every kid thinks that, but I think that was true. Uh, I grew up in a church where Sunday school, or CCD as we called it, uh, took place before the worship service, and so I grew up sitting in worship from infancy through high school, and so kids, I feel your pain, I know, and, and you know, if I might add, this may get me in trouble, the, the church I grew up in, you know, they, they were not interested, I don't think, in like really riveting homilies, um, and so, you know. That's the context I grew up in, (laughs) in the church. Uh, And truth be told, when I left home to go to college, I left the church, and I walked away from the faith 
seeking my own fortune. And like the son, the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, um, I squandered my life with reckless living. I would describe it now that I was seeking after the American dream. I was looking for academic success. I was looking for social success. I was looking for relational success in relationships. And by my third year at Georgia Tech, every one of those pursuits had let me down. Struggling in school, yet another relationship had ended, and things in my social circle, my fraternity, were not going well. And I uh, fell into a time of despair, loneliness, and disillusionment. Um, Many of you perhaps experienced something like that in college as you were seeking to define and discover yourself. Uh, What God said through the prophet Jeremiah was true of me uh, when he said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's what I had done. I had been raised in a church. I had heard the gospel. And yet when it was my opportunity, I ran from God. And I sought life in things that were not God. And it just took a few years for me to realize that I was looking for life in lifeless places. And by God's grace, he allowed me to feel that full weight. And it came about that in the middle of the night, one night I was working on a a project for a class. And in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m., I just felt that kind of existential crisis, and I thought, I need to talk to someone. And there was a guy, a friend of mine, who lived on the, the hall where I was, and, you know, over the years I had known him, he spoke uh, intelligently about faith, and so I said, I need to go, I need to find him, I need to talk with him. And as I walked to his door, I began to get embarrassed of what I was doing, and I thought in my head, I made a deal with myself, I'm just going to knock on his door, he's probably asleep, he won't answer, and then I'll just go back to my room, go to sleep, and forgot, forget that this ever happened. But as God would have it, of course, he was awake. And he graciously came to my room, and I just started to kind of, you know, pour out my heart to him. And, and basically, with my upbringing, I said, I thought God wanted me to be happy. And I was confused. I was agonizing over this question, why doesn't God want me to be happy, Philip? And in, in that moment, he was able, with very, in very ordinary terms, he was able to tell me that God did want me to be happy. He did love me. He did care for me. But I was going about it in the wrong way. I was running away from God. <laughs> but I was made to be in relationship with God. He wanted me to find that purpose and that joy, that fulfillment, in and through relationship with him. And so he, again, told me, in simple terms about the gospel. This is why Jesus died on the cross. This is God's love made manifest. He died for your sins, and if you will put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven, and you will be united with Christ and become a child of God. Um, And something woke up inside of me. It was uh, what I would read later on from St. Augustine. He 
he, he wrote this in the Confessions. He said, God, you have made us for yourself. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so it was in that moment with my buddy in the middle of the night that God met my restless heart and he said, I love you. And all of these things you are striving for, guess what? You can stop. And I will meet you and I will provide for you. And again, it, it was literally a, a, an awakening. Life went from black and white and fuzzy to bright color. And I was filled with joy and thanksgiving and a God who not only loved me, but was willing to come and to die for my sins so that I could be in relationship with him. God had truly met the deepest desires of my heart. And I knew it because I had this revelation, oh, I don't need a girlfriend to be fulfilled. That was a revelation. And I'm sorry to all of those women prior to that moment who I was trying to suck life and meaning out of. That's another story. So as, as God would have it, the very next day I'm walking through campus late in the afternoon and I'm contemplating what has happened in my life and I'm wondering, you know, what is, what is God doing? What does this mean? I walk through, the center of, walk through the center of campus and there's a group of students and there's a concert going on. And as I walk by, I realize that they are singing collectively praises to Jesus. Huh. And I remember thinking, I didn't even know there were groups of Christian students here on campus. And so I, I inquired and I found out what group this uh, was who had put on the concert. And I, I went to one of their weekly meetings. And it was a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, they've changed their name now. I think they go by crew. Uh, but I was welcomed into fellowship. And I, was, I found great encouragement as a new believer. I was invited into a Bible study with a Bible study leader. And I had so many questions. It was wonderful. No question was off the table. I was also very quickly encouraged to start my own Bible study. <laughs> which later strikes me as funny <laughs> because I had been a Christian for maybe like two weeks. And this, you know, this is what college ministries are all about. You have a pulse? You love Jesus? You need to lead a Bible study. And I was just, you know, dumb enough to agree to it. And so I said to the, the guys on my hall, I'm like, hey, I, I'm starting a Bible study. Does anyone want to join it? And, and a few guys from my hall, I'm, I was out of the fraternity house at this point, and these were freshman guys. And, I, and so a few guys joined, some because they grew up in the church and they thought, well, yes, I should be in a Bible study, and some out of curiosity. And and the discipleship group leader of my other group said, don't worry, just do what I'm doing, you know, after I do it. <laughs> I'm leading the group. You can lead a group. Just lead the same one that week. Uh, and so over months, we had this Bible study, and over a number of months, I saw two of these guys get converted. They became Christians. And I saw their lives begin to change as we walked this Christian life together. And I had seen them, you know, prior to the, to the Bible study, during the Bible study, and then afterwards as we walked together, and I realized in that moment that God had used me, this ignorant but uh, excited 
new believer to impact people's lives for eternity. And I realized that these guys who were acquaintance we had never met before, we became brothers through this Bible study and realized with a deep warmth in my heart that we would be brothers for eternity. Their lives had been changed as mine had been changed, and God had graciously been willing to use even someone like me to do so. And so my life uh, began to change. I was gripped by this idea that God could and would use someone like me. And so I, I began to go on mission trips, uh, again, to my parents' dismay. They were like, what? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? How are you going to pay for that? Um, all relevant questions. Um, I started to go on mission trips, and then I began to uh, think about and dream about and look into what would it look like to be a missionary for my life, right? Engineering. <laughs> what is six years at Georgia Tech when you can, when you can impact people's lives for eternity? That, that, that was what I was thinking at the time, and, and I felt that God called me into to, to ministry because I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And what I really wanted to see and be part of was people coming to a deeper relationship with Christ, whether they were already Christians or whether they didn't know Christ yet at all. It wasn't until years later in seminary that I fell in love with the local church and realized, oh, I can be part of the missional work of Jesus in starting a new church in a neighborhood that maybe doesn't have one or needs one. And I, I wanted to see a community of faith uh, planted and grown and fostered. And so it became that, the passion of my life. And I, and I felt Jesus' beautiful invitation to follow him and that he had made me into a fisher of, of men. And that as Jesus said in, in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, for me, that looked like going into full-time vocational ministry. But I wholeheartedly believe that this is Jesus' call to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so I want to ask you, have you considered these questions? Who are you following? And to whom are you giving your life? Again, I think without these questions, we, we fall into a path that's given to us. And we come to church and we worship God. But I believe God is calling us to something more and something, something deeper. You know, I, I came back to my, my buddy Philip um, years later, who shared the gospel with me, and I, and I asked him, and he, he confessed he had never shared the gospel with anyone before that night with me. And, and it had been a few years after, and he'd never shared it again. And what I realized is that, that Philip was, he was ready, he was willing, and when God led someone to his door, he used Philip as an instrument of grace in my life. And then worked in my life so that through Philip, Lots of other people had come to faith. And maybe Philip has shared the, the gospel with others since then. But through Philip, lots of people have come to know Jesus. And so again, I want to ask, are you ready? If someone, if God was to lead someone to your door, 
Would you be ready and willing to share with them, even in simple terms, the gospel? Um, are you following and imitating Jesus so that your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, if and when God brings this crisis into their life or raises these questions, that you are someone that they would gravitate to? You see, to follow Jesus doesn't mean that you go to seminary and you get, you know, full-time training. It simply means that you are willing and that you are actively engaged in following Jesus as a disciple. Again, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Would you be willing or able to lead your neighbors or friends or co-workers in, in a simple Bible study that explains the gospel. Now, listen, I, I don't ask these questions, and, I, and I, I'm very sensitive. I don't want anyone to feel shame in that, but I do want you to feel and hear Jesus' call to something great. That's why I've got this quote in here from C.S. Lewis that I'm, I'm taking out of context, but I think it fits very well. In this, he, and you've probably heard it, this is one of his famous ones. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child we, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, I believe Lewis is using this quote for about people who reject God and, and they, they don't want to come to God. But I'm saying, as Christians, we also have missed God's invitation, God's beautiful invitation, that whatever your vocation is, whatever you do, doctor, lawyer, stay-at-home mom, school teacher, wherever you are as a disciple and follower of Christ, Jesus can use you as a fisher of men and women. This is why we have discipleship groups. If you don't feel comfortable uh, reading the Bible, knowing how to read the Bible, or teaching someone else, join a discipleship group. Clint and Leanne would love to show you how to do that. And take it from me, you only need a couple weeks of experience to lead others. (laughs) This is why we have village groups. These are missional communities. We gather together, yes, to get to know one another and and enjoy one another, but we do that because we want to be a strong community of faith where we know and serve one another so that we can invite others in. And when they come in, there is a rich and a vibrant community within our church. So you don't just join a, a, a discipleship group or a village group for yourself. Yes, you will gain great benefit. But if you're following Jesus, you join those things so that you can be used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. Now, some of you, based on your giftings, were all different. You may never lead a Bible study, and that is okay. But take part in God's work here, his kingdom work here in this church. If you're serving as a Sunday school teacher, or a greeter, or a liturgist, or a a sound, or an audio-video person. These are all ways of taking part in God's work. We want to be a vibrant, healthy church in this neighborhood, and we want to send out vibrant, healthy Christians into the marketplace. We'll talk more about that later. But beloved, 
I want you to hear Jesus' call. When you give your life to something that important, it feeds your soul. It gives you the meaning that you desire and it is so often lacking in our lives. And so, beloved, as, as we close, I, I simply want to ask you this question. Are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? Meaning, are you seeking to imitate his, his manner of life? The only way you can do that is if you're watching him, if you're studying him, if you're listening to him, and by his spirit, walking in his steps. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, O oh God, uh, for this incredible call, this incredible invitation to take part in your kingdom work. Lord, our works, the things that we do can last forever. Uh, we want to give our lives to those things. So help us to understand, help each one of us to know how to take one step in this direction, to follow you more closely, to take a more active role in your kingdom work here in this place, in our families, in our places of work. Lord, so that your name would be glorified and that others would praise you just as we do for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.